Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Well, welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. We're all about the stories that make the Asian tech ecosystem so exciting, so dynamic. And to share a story with us today, all the way from Singapore, the CEO of Mitchell Lake Group is going to talk about his journey getting to Singapore, which wasn't a very straight journey. But we'll talk about the roundabout route to getting to Singapore and also his role in helping nurture that ecosystem in Singapore and what's going on in there at the moment. You'll be surprised if you haven't visited Singapore recently. Things are really moving out of place. So without further ado, John Tanner, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Well, it's fantastic to have you here. So just a little bit of background so people understand, the listeners understand what Mitchell Lake Group is about. You describe yourself as a global executive search investment and advisory for digital transformation, startup and international growth. Yeah, just a few. Yeah, very narrow, obviously. But no, we, we cover a little bit of ground. But um, historically, we've found that, you know, I guess the commonality for us is, is you know, people doing new things, being innovators or, or trying to do something interesting with technology. Um, and, and we help them build teams or, or make that happen um, in a number of ways. So you, you, the commonality for us is always talent. Uh, it's talent led. Um, and we, we firmly believe that. I know that's lip service for a lot of, you know, the community, whether they be investor, enterprise or otherwise, uh, everyone talks about the talent first. Uh, we, we, we don't always see them putting it first, but uh, we, we feel it is the critical ingredient in success in most cases. Especially the kind of companies that you're dealing with, just looking down the list. I know this is not your complete list of clients, but companies like Square, Fitbit, Snapchat, Dropbox, McKinsey, Etc. I mean, these are companies that live and die by their teams and their talent, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and look, we we work with a lot of companies that um, you, you know no one has yet heard of as well, and that's the exciting thing. I think you know there's there's three types of, of I guess archetype client for us um, organization that we work with. One is the very early stage business that is is local to Singapore or um, one of the other cities around the region, uh, Australia. Uh, US or Europe. Um, the other is the the growth company, which has hit a, a level of maturity and success or capital that um, they're going multi-regional. Um, and the other is the enterprise that are really looking to, I guess, you know, a, a attack or um, defend <laughs> around uh, the, the opportunities that digital transformation and disruption present them. Right. And okay, we're talking a little bit about the whole talent thing, and especially Singapore. But how long have you been in Singapore now, John? Uh, just a little bit over two years. We've, mm. we've actually had our presence here for about three and a half or just over three years. So we, we've, we'd worked in and out of the region a little bit from Australia originally. Um, our, our second office, uh, bizarrely enough, was in San Francisco. And um, we, that was actually led by our relationship with some clients that, that took us from Australia to the US, um, which is fairly unusual. We'd, I think most people would usually stay in region first or um, go less far afield. But, it, you know, Singapore for me became more and more a, a, an obvious place to be. Um, some of the brands that we you mentioned before, um, Square, Stripe, Etsy, Pandora Radio, Yammer originally, um, Dropbox, SurveyMonkey. We we actually did first hires for most of those, well, all of those companies in Australia, and we, we started to feel that there was a, a gravitational pull north. And when we, mm. we looked at the sort of, I guess, the incumbency uh, uh, of people like Facebook and Google and Microsoft, who had previously done some work for, um, they usually end up with a head office in Singapore for the region. Um, and that's geographical and commercial, I guess. So did you come across from Australia to Singapore? 
I did. I moved from Melbourne. So we, we started our business, you know, in 2001 in Sydney, but um, I spent the last, you know, 10 years plus in Melbourne, um, you know, been very much enjoyed Melbourne as a town and, and there's a great sort of startup community um, that's really aggressively emerged in the last five or six years. But there's a good, you know, there's a long history of, of innovation and, and startup culture in Melbourne um, as well as Sydney. Sydney tends to be more the um, the obvious place for people coming into the market from outside, but I think increasingly Melbourne is, is you know, holding its own um but very exciting times but we we're probably more excited about um being multinational so that was always our strategy right right was that a natural move for you to go from melbourne because i mean melbourne's a great place it's always ranks whenever they do those sort of living indexes the best cities to it always it's always there in the top five and then people go on about the coffee culture and standard of living and so on so for you to move to singapore i know singapore is no slouch into any terms by standard of livings but you know, to leave Melbourne behind to go to Singapore, what was the the main driver for you? Well, I, I guess you know we'd had a good run in, in Melbourne in terms of, and we had a good, we've got a good team there, um, ready for a change. Personally, I think we're you know my business partner had spent the last five years in San Francisco in the US. Um, Asia is really starting to to hum a little bit, and the the demographic and economic data is pretty compelling. Um, and we're starting to see sort of, you know, as I said, these companies sort of bounce into Australia and then up to the region. Uh, and then when you sort of, you know, you do the math on a billion middle-class consumers coming online, you know, mobile first, the next sort of three or four years, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great story. And, and also there's some great stories coming out of the region. So it just made sense to, to want to be a part of it. I've had family live in Asia for the last sort of 40 years. Um, so I've spent a bit of time in places like Hong Kong and, um, and friends work in, in Hong Kong and Singapore for the last uh, 20 odd years. So I'd spent some time in region and always enjoyed it as an experience. In terms of the cities, I think there are some similarities between Melbourne and Singapore in terms of that livability. I think mm. Singapore is very much a food town. People are obsessed with food here. Uh, they don't mind retail either, which is the mm-hmm. fashion, fashion scene reasonably strong in, in Melbourne. Um, probably less into the sports, but they do, do do an event well here. So, you know, there's some things around living here that are great um and very comparable right right and here's the thing i mean i've lived in asia off and on since the 90s mostly in japan and you know i think that a lot of people when they come to asia for the first time their expectations are really blown out the water they don't really have i mean you know we see a lot of imagery back home quote unquote about what asia's like or you know what it was like and when they Mm. actually get there it's very different i know you 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 said you've had exposure because you've lived around in places like Hong Kong with your family and so on. So you kind of had an early exposure to Asia, but do you see that with your friends? I mean, if they come across to Asia from Australia or wherever else in the world, are they sort of taken aback a little bit by how things are right now? I I think definitely. I think you, you talk to people who are working into China, for example, or or coming to Singapore for the first time in, in perhaps 10 years or 15 years. And, um, you know, Australians have, have spent a do bit, spent a bit of time in Asia, but typically it's around the you know holiday areas and not so much the the corporate centres or capital centres. And the the change in architecture and energy and hospitality and also tech and those sorts of things. But just I think they're blown away by the scale of some things and the you know the epic nature of some of the architecture even in Singapore um, is very striking. Um, so, it, and it's, it's not necessarily what they expected. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's very exciting. And then you hear stories, you know, again, I've, I've got a friend who works in gaming who's just been to a, a big conference in China and just said, you know, there were six, 600,000 delegates, um, which, you know, I went to E3 in LA with the same, same friend in, uh, you know, probably seven years ago. 
uh, and there were 70,000 delegates. You know, 600,000 delegates at a conference yeah, in China. Over, over three days, yeah. Wow. So it's, a, it's pretty epic. And I, I just think the, you know, the numbers are epic, but, but there's also much, so much opportunity. I think mm. um, you know, it's, it's you know, the obvious places in the region and then the, the secondary and emerging markets are equally interesting. So, mm. yeah, it's a very exciting time. Yeah, I get that feeling when I travel around, especially Southeast Asia. I know Singapore is very different to a lot of Southeast Asia, but geographically, it's right in the middle of it. But if you were to go to Thailand or you go to Indonesia, any of the sort of the more emerging markets like Myanmar or Cambodia, Laos, for example, you get that real sense of energy, which even though they don't necessarily have the technology and the expertise that you may have in other countries, there's that real sort of hustle, which you can't really find anywhere else. And I, I don't know what it is, but that really attracts me to the region. And I think that is an interesting formula for success. You've got a lot of people who are hustling to make their lives better. They don't have that sort of comfort associated with more developed countries, do they? That you know, cause no I'm, I'm looking at Singapore now because now Singapore's at that cusp, isn't it, where it can say, right, okay, well, we stand shoulder to shoulder with all these other countries now, you know, GDP-wise well, so and so on. So, yeah, Singapore tend to be you know, a test and learn economy. I guess Lee Kuan Yew was sort of the type of person who really looked at what worked elsewhere and would try it and experiment with it. If it worked, he'd keep it. Um, and they'd implement really quickly and aggressively. And they're at a scale in terms of ge geography and, and infrastructure that they can do that. Um, they're very lucky in that way. And, and they, you know, well, it's not just luck. They've, they've been very intent on, on maturing their infrastructure and education and um, all the bits and pieces that go into making a great economy. Um, I think they've, really purposefully gone after technology and innovation and some other categories um, because they, they they know they need to diversify uh, necessarily away from purely oil and gas and, and trade and shipping and those sorts of things, but um, very smartly. But I think some of the, the interesting things about some of these other markets is that they're less structured. Um, they are very hustle-oriented. Um, there's entrepreneurial creative spirit in abundance in, you know, Vietnam and Thailand and uh, Indonesia and Philippines. And I think um, that sits very well for the concept of creative entrepreneurialism. Uh, you know, I don't know if you – I sort of listened to one of your other pod, podcasts recently and um, just about talking about successful cities and comparing San mm. Francisco and those dynamics – um, with other parts of the US, for example, why San Francisco? And, uh, you know, Richard Florida, I don't know if you've read The Rise of Creative Class, but yeah. um, a really great book and points out some really interesting things around sometimes the lack of incumbent infrastructure means that people are, you know, they don't know what they shouldn't be doing um, or there's a That's freedom. Or a, yeah, it, it's sort of a, you know, a lack of control or expectation around doing things a certain way is actually a real benefit. Um, it's a bit like this region skipping straight to mobile. Yeah, yeah. yeah from yeah, Copper Wire. You know, it's like straight away there, there's some of the maturity around mobile stack um, service and product layers is, is way ahead of mm. many of the mature markets, you know, in a, in a general sense that, are, that sit out in the West. So, you know, for that reason, I find it really, really fascinating and exciting. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting point that you made about the infrastructure, particularly, I mean, it's not just the physical infrastructure, but also that sort of cultural infrastructure as well, isn't it? That, you know, and, you've got talent. Yeah, the establishment. Exactly, yeah. exactly. There's no rules to say that it has to be done this way, or there isn't any kind of rule. So we just have to kind of wing it, make it up as we go along, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, people are going out there and doing things because no one told them they couldn't do it. Right. Are you, are you ever surprised then when you go back to Australia? Because, I mean, you know, Australia economy has been very successful, especially in the last sort of 10, 15 years. 
we're now at a stage where, you know, there's a generation of people who've grown up who haven't known anything else apart from, you know, like a, a successful economy. So are you noticing any difference from when you come from Singapore back to Australia, how things may be different over there in terms of, you know, how people approach entrepreneurialism and so on? Yeah, look, certainly uh, the last three years, I think if anything, Singapore probably flicked the switch on early stage investment or the last phase of it or the, the current phase a little bit earlier than Australia. The last two or two and a half years in Australia, they've raised a lot of Series A and C capital. So, um, you know, probably 10x on what was in market, say, five years ago. Um, that happened in, in Singapore probably 2011, 2013. It went from about 40 million to 1.8 billion, I think. Uh, invested in and I think that that was a shift the, the thing about Australia I think is that when you do go back it, it's very dominated by certain brands so there's a lot of duopolies and um, you know dominant market positions in mature companies um, which which means that things tend not to change that quickly in some ways but there's also a great history of, of you know certainly technology entrepreneurship uh, and people getting to scale, you know, in the 90s and, and early 2000s, there were there's some really good waves of, of success. You know, the guys from Hitwise in Melbourne, um, you know, a bit more recently, the Atlassians. But, you know, we've got um, LookSmart, uh, mm-hmm. Hitwise, uh, you know, Aconex, um, you know, lots of really good marketplace businesses that were very well executed early. Um, and, and now, you know, a whole raft of fantastic companies like Canva, um, you know, 99 designs and, and, and plenty more. So they've got probably an extra generation or two of, of this sort of incumbent success, which is probably, you know, a lot that we talk about with people in region here when they're trying to compare how the region's going, how Singapore's going and what the talent challenges are. It's it, The most evident thing is typically the lack of incumbent success. So people have, there's plenty of great success stories at Series A and there's one or two really large-scale success mm-hmm. stories, but there, aren't an, there isn't an abundance yet of um, you know, people who've gone from Series B to IPO. Right. And, and I think that... Well, that's time, right? I mean, it's just, it's a just pipeline time. that's feeding through, isn't it? It's time and it's opportunity and talent and lots of things. Like we, you, but until you get to that point, you kind of need to, you know, realize that you're now. If you want to compete at that level, you're in a global market. It's not just here versus there. It's it's everywhere. So people who are great at leadership of engineering, product, data, um, you know, marketing, sales, whatever it might be, managing people at scale. Um, you know, those people are in demand everywhere in the world, in every market. So that's, you know, that's the interesting thing. So we're finding in every market we're in, um, whether that be, you know, we've just opened in New York, um, we're, you know, a fledgling in, in New York and London, but it, it's really about being spread geographically to connect with as much talent um, in our category as we can uh, to, to get the distribution right. John, I want to ask you about Singapore talent also some of the, the reports and surveys that have been done recently and, you know, why people move to Singapore, what sort of decisions are behind that as well? Because it's kind of important. It's maybe not just a career decision, but also a lifestyle thing as well. But before we get there, I think it's kind of important for the listeners to understand, put this into context, where you're from. Absolutely. Tasmania. Now, yes. I mean, if you don't know Australia, I mean, okay, you may, people know Australia, obviously, but Tasmania isn't the sort of the natural first place people think about when they think of Australia. Tell us a little bit about what life is like there, because what I wanted to ask you as a follow-up is, how did you end up here? So start yeah. with Tasmania first. Well, it's a, it's a long way away, but we, you know, Tasmania is a, an island um, 
that's about you know 600 by 500 kilometers, uh, about 500,000 people, uh, roughly give or take in its population. Um, it's it's got a you know one major university. Uh, it's got a couple of major towns. Hobart is is the biggest town, and then Launceston. And I grew up sort of living regionally, um, uh, first in the south, and then on the northwest coast. My parents were both teachers. Um, we moved a lot, um, probably I think fourteen times before I was eighteen. So yeah. we'd been around a bit. We lived overseas a little bit as well um, for for brief stints, but. Um, it's a beautiful place. It's very, you know, in many ways um, untouched. Um, and it, it's sort of a, you know, you can have a, a weekend in, in Tasmania and feel like you've had a week off. It's very relaxing. <laughs> um, beautiful food, fantastic produce. So I think it's really exciting to see, you know, looking back at Tasmania. I've got a lot of friends um, and family who are still there and I spend uh, plenty of time there. Um, it's interesting to see how things are evolving there. There's been a really, you know, huge uplift in um, investment in, you know, partly by a, a local entrepreneur, David Walsh, um, who has invested heavily in, in art, in the arts there. He built a, an enormous gallery called uh, Mona and it's created a huge buzz, um, internationally around drawing tourism in and the food culture has really thrived. Um, it was already thriving, but really taken off as part of this influx of, of tourism and, um, and people are starting to realize some of the amazing, sort of, I guess, aspects of Tasmania that are there on a broader basis. So Tasmania is getting distribution through, you know, I think part of that is, is about technology and, and exposure that you get now through social media and, and the internet um, means that things amplify much more quickly. So, you know, post-discovery, things tend to happen more, more quickly, but it's been a, a good secret, um, mm. well, well kept for a long time prior to that. Fantastic. I'm just curious now because you went to university in Tasmania, right? That was I did. you graduated from there. That moment where you know you then took the next step, just to sort of go back to myself. I graduated in the UK, but I knew at that point, even before graduation, I was going abroad. I knew I was going abroad and preferably to Asia. I didn't know the details at that stage, but I just knew I was going to travel. I was going to live abroad. I was going to work out the details as I went along. And luckily, it kind of, you know, you fall forward in this sort of process and it all works out. You make a few mistakes along the way, but it was a good process. What about for yourself? Did you know that you were going to at some point go to Singapore or did it just kind of end up there? Um, I, it was always in the back of my mind that Asia might be a place that I'd, I'd spend some time. I think I was lucky as a, a child growing up that um, we did travel a lot. Um, we spent a sort of, you know, six months living in London when my father was studying and, um, you know, I, I would visit my cousins and family in Hong Kong, um, you know, semi-regularly when, when I was growing up, um, but always felt that freedom of travel. So I think being exposed early to travel and not feeling, you know, it expands your horizons. It, it expands your sort of perception of the world and, and certainly of yourself. And I think that's helpful when you've grown up regionally. Um, also growing up regionally, uh, you know, on the northwest coast of Tasmania, but even in, in Hobart, you know, 25 uh, plus years ago, you, there, there's a limit to the amount of opportunities that exist, um, you know, in, in, depending on how you've been educated or, or where you've grown up, whether you've, you know, you're a farmer or you're a fisherman or um, whatever your background might be, there's a limit of opportunities once you graduate. So, um, you know, top graduates would take those if they chose um, or go to the mainland, um, as we refer to it. <laughs> and <laughs> quite, quite often, uh, you know, in Australia generally, there's a lot of um, – a lot of people will take a long trip 
post-university or post-study of any kind yeah. or when they leave school. So it's a very standard thing. And, and we, I did a, a year and then came back for a couple of years to Tasmania and worked in hospitality and then did another two years away in, in, in Canada and, and Europe um, and a bit of time in the States. So, yeah, look, it was – I always had a sort of a, an adventurous uh, spirit, I guess, and, and that's fairly common to Australians and certainly Tasmania is where I grew up. Uh, in terms of getting to, to Singapore, um, you know, I had a lot of friends who, uh, you know, they they started to move from London or, or other places into Hong Kong and Singapore about 10 years ago. Um, part of that maybe is, is getting closer to home, but I think part of that is also because they're uh, increasingly seen as, as first-tier opportunities and, and mm. certainly Singapore is a great place to have a family and great infrastructure for education and um you know, it's an amazing region to live in and, and travel around. And um, I think the economic sort of growth and emergence of some of these economies is 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 making it very exciting. And I think that's probably compounded by some of the the, the more mature Western markets have really slowed down or, or been under pressure and uh, in many different ways, economically and politically, over the last five years or ten years. So, yeah, it's a very interesting time. Because mm. I want to ask you about that why talented people move to these places because you know if i was if i was a computer science graduate coming out of stanford well i'm going to end up in the valley right at in 99 times out of 100 because that's kind of like what everybody else before me has done so that would be my sort of default life plan if you like whether or not it's the best for me but that would be the the path that i'm following i think that's the obvious life plan but i think it's something like you know, sixty percent of engineers in the Bay Area weren't born in the U.S. Right. So I think the, you know, the uh, although as you say, if you're educated at Stanford, doesn't mean you're born in the U.S. either. But I think the the thing that the U.S. has done incredibly well is is tell a story, and and particularly Silicon Valley, um, you know, it's become a magnet for capital, for talent, um, and ideas, and it's it, it is an incredibly deep and um, dynamic market. I think part of that is is this you know, aura around things like Stanford and Berkeley and um, the other sort of Californian institutions of education, um, you know, the history of Silicon Valley, um, the the sort of VC community and the success stories are, are told over and over so well. Um, but I think, you know, a, a lot of these really brilliant people are from all over the world and they just congregate there to collaborate with other like-minded people. And again, that probably takes me back more to the Richard Florida, you know, concept of the creative class and i think san francisco was absolutely a hotbed of creativity in all sorts of ways um and, and a very open city and it still remains a very open city i think the problem now is that it's a very expensive city exactly. and it's 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 hyper mature if anything it's definitely the most mature market in the world for innovation and technology but it's it's reaching a point which is it's starting to eat itself a little bit i think you know in my from my perspective it's um a lot of people can't afford to live there you know we've had our own staff we we, we hired someone who's fantastic and um post-grad um or not a post-grad but she'd been graduate for a, a few years and so not a lot of experience but moved to san francisco a, a fantastic asset for us but we realized very she said look can we just talk about my income and you, you know we had this uncomfortable sort of moment where are you okay like you know, it's everything <laughs> right and realized you know she said oh look i took out a loan to pay my rent uh, to right. move here um so people are rolling the dice and you know it's getting more and more difficult for even well-paid engineers to to live there the very top of the market everyone does very well mm. no question but it's not an easy place to live and in fact i'm pretty sure that's where airbnb came from mm. the two airbnb founders were you know f- trying to figure out a way to pay their rent um, exactly. literally yeah so it's 
it's it's getting that way. And we're also seeing these other, you know, it's not just uh, in region out here that we're seeing an emergence of secondary markets. You could say the same about cities in the US from Austin to, um, you know, Boulder to Ann Arbor. Um, many of those sort of secondary markets in the US are doing very well at the moment as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the creative class and it, it, they seem to sort of, you know, they're much more mobile and they'll follow where the opportunities are and they'll congregate en masse in places where there are better opportunities. And sure. I, I see that, you know, when we talk about Asia, the, there's sort of two things going on I want to talk to you about. This. The first thing, which is, you know, there's always this sort of push to be the Silicon Valley of this region. And people look at Silicon Valley and they want to model that. And then he said, okay, right, you know, we're Silicon Valley, but we're Silicon Valley in this country, right? And there's always that sort of using that model and sort of trying to bring it to the Asian thing. But at the same time, you've got this this movement and you're seeing it in Southeast Asia and you're seeing, for example, you know, there's a whole creative class now who choose to move places like Thailand because not necessarily they're seeking out another Silicon Valley, but, you know, this may be an ex-Google guy and he may decide to go to Chiang Mai in Thailand or he may decide to go to Ubud in Bali because it's a lifestyle thing now. And now yeah. he, there's, a, there's an infrastructure and a creative class to support that lifestyle, right? I'm just sort of curious to know what you, your sort of experience with that, where you are, because you're right in the middle geographically in Southeast Asia, whether you're seeing people who now say, right, oh, no, I want to go to Asia, not necessarily because, you know, it's another Silicon Valley, but there's different kind of opportunities here for me. Well, I think that's, you know, we're in the middle because it's a hub and we're an executive search, predominantly search and, and talent firm. So it makes sense for, for us to be near head office. But there are some amazing opportunities to, you know, you can be so flexible now. Literally, you can live anywhere and work anywhere. Um, you know, there's an interesting website called teleport.org where they do side-by-side comparisons of cities and, and different places um, from everything for, from food and how, how much people exercise to health and education and infrastructure and all those things and how many jobs are around. But, you know, I, I think certainly, um, and I think there's an irony to the point that um, Silicon Valley is such a concentrated hub of talent, technology and money, but the technology that it's building is all about distribution and not needing to be anywhere. So mm. um, I, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more of this um, sort of micro-commerce startups launching from anywhere they want. Um, certainly, I think, there's a, a lot to be said. People are, you know, conscious of the fact that some of these cities, you know, Singapore included, um, Sydney, Melbourne, San Francisco, London, are very expensive, um, and it, they bring a lot of, you know, concentration of of everything, which is sometimes good, but also sometimes bad. And I think, um, you know, many people are looking at how they might live more easily or in a different way um, in some of these places, and the technology helps them do that. Mm. Exactly. Interesting times. Just bringing in what I said I was going to talk about, the Startup Genome Report. Uh, Singapore was ranked in that. They basically interviewed 10,000 startups across the world and different startup ecosystems and sort of ranked them because, you know, people like their rankings and it makes life easier to compare all these things together. Singapore, interestingly, what are your thoughts on this? It came out 12th in terms of overall rankings, which I think was the outside of China was the highest ranked Asian city. But it also came in the world. It came first above San Francisco in terms of talent. So what's going on there? Because you would have thought Singapore would have been behind San Francisco because San Francisco was the default choice for talent. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I, I think it's, uh, you know, maybe there's talent, there's access to talent. Um, I think what Singapore has done really well is figure out what some of the key ingredients are to success in 
technology and entrepreneurialism. And, um, you know, certainly education being being relatively open, they've, they have um, – they do focus on certain parts of uh, the economy or industries and, and you know, are more welcoming to that talent outside in. They've, they've been very aggressive in in uh, encouraging regional and international technology companies to start up here and other companies, but particularly companies um, to transfer their head office or corporate, um, certainly for the region, their corporate headquarters to this to this city. Um, I think it, it, everything here is concentrated. It's very it's a, it's not a big island, so it's about thirty by fifty k's from memory. Um, it's a great city to commute. It's a, it's an easy place to live. Um, everyone is fantastically educated. Um, people come here for a reason if they're coming from outside in, typically to, to run a regional business or launch regionally um, or get involved in something that's pretty interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I don't. I think I think I think there's plenty of talent in region here from a, an engineering. If you talk about the the core, you know, STEM for example, there are just the education system here produces fantastic students. Mm. I think what we need more of is just experience and, and as you say time it's it's getting that um the maturity around the ecosystem so that okay you know you're a fantastic engineer how do you become a fantastic leader of engineers and then you, how do you become a fantastic um you know chief product officer from being a product manager um how do you go from running a team of 10 to running a team of 100 um what are the you know who's who's driving the roadmap of success beyond the founder um and having enough sort of depth of that talent at maturity and in terms of that leadership and experience in, in distribution and global business um, to take the next step. I think that's that's probably what's missing. I think the core ingredients are here in abundance, and I, I think that's true of many places in the region. Where do those people come from? Do they come from outside or do you grow them locally? Well, I think they come, many come from in region, and uh, what we're finding now is that we're actually doing a lot of research to identify people who are ex-region who are living in the US or Europe or Australia um, who might be tapped to come back. Um, mm. and, and we're finding that now is a really good time to do that because um, some of those places are, are less cool places to be at the moment for many reasons. <laughs> but but also, uh, it, it's it, it, they can tell we're at a tipping point. We're very close to a tipping point um, where I think all the growth that's been happening in the last um, you know 20 years plus in some of these economies is starting to hit a critical mass of of um, driving wealth and quality of outputs, um, both in terms of education, but also in terms of commerce and um, an appetite for consumption and um, and to doing you know a high level of business. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's everything's emerging here. It's a very exciting time. I think the basics are, are just they've nailed down really well. Um, I think the challenge will be for some of these economies, and and this is the challenge in the Western world too, is that nationalism sometimes. Um, can overtake the the sense of openness, mm. uh, and I think when times are tough, um, or if the economy is not in a great in a great spot or isn't in great shape, then people look for um, the easy targets, which are often the people who came who turned up last. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think you know that's an issue in Australia. It's an issue in the US. It's an issue in Europe. Um, it's it's something of a challenge here too. I think politically. Do you think there will come a time for young Australians, and I talk about mainlanders? Australians, because yeah. you know they've already sort of reached the tier one cities in Australia, whether they're in Sydney or Melbourne. Do you think there were time where you know in the past they would have, by default, the natural path would have you know to go and do two years in London 
or mm. you know work in the city that that's kind of what they did wasn't it because then they would they'd backpack around europe and get their experience yeah. working in the city do you think there'll be a time when that will then be superseded by singapore or is it happening already i mean what are yeah. you seeing it wouldn't surprise me at all i think well it's not the sort of place you're going to come and backpack because it's not you know there's there's not a backpacking arrangement here <laughs> as there is with the uk um but it, it's also you know a lot of my friends would stay in london and some are still there so they've been there 15 20 years um and have taken up residence some have come back after five or ten but um and some have, have come back via asia um into hong kong and singapore um i i definitely think that it is going to be much higher as a, as a point of um you know a desired destination for work once you reach a certain level of maturity in your career than it was 10 years ago um for more of my contemporaries so and and the, the emerging much younger generations and, and much smarter and more mobile generations that are uh, coming out of australia absolutely and, and we're seeing entrepreneurs from new zealand and australia um and and europe uh, coming here to start businesses as well because they know it's a great place to start a business. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's one thing that surprises people as well, isn't it? Is that I mean, even I mean, you take Singapore, but even you know, if you were to go and do business in China, as an example, I think people from outside the region don't really get it. They sort of see China, uh, maybe Singapore as well as these sort of you know, controlled economies, but in reality, they're very pro-business. You know, like if you go to China, for example, you can do pretty much do what you want until it gets out of hand when they have to sort of regulate it back into control, right? Singapore's geared up towards business, isn't it? And then you sort of compare what we see, you know, as sort of, you know, very pro-business economies like Australia or the UK or America. You know, we don't know half of what goes on in Asia, right? And in terms of what these countries are doing, right? We don't really get how pro-business these countries are i mean there's sort of any sort of examples of that that you can share with people so entrepreneurs can get it i mean beyond the sort of the red tape stuff that how well geared these places are towards entrepreneurs oh yeah well i can i can certainly speak to singapore i think it's been ranked the number one place to start a business in the world for the last three years running and it had been it run second to switzerland or the most right. business-friendly place to start a business, but it, it runs second to Switzerland for about the previous 15 years. So <laughs> it's definitely – they're trying very hard. Um, there, there's sort of lots of match funding, uh, tax incentives, um, especially for obviously generating employment um, and investment uh, it, that are very open and very uh, – you know, the, the agencies here are very supportive. Um, there's just a bit of paperwork, to be honest. It's – you know, there's still a lot of um, you know, bureaucracy to deal with it at some levels. But once you figure that out and if you have the right um, – partners here that that's you, you know it's so easy to do business and I, I we found it you know it was easily our most profitable you know part of the business in the world very quickly um once we got it right and there's there there is really good local talent there's good um but it's also a good place to bring you know talent from other places so it's a good mix at the moment it's very well balanced i've uh, you know i haven't had heard anyone complain about it being difficult to start a business here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you were um, sort of finishing up, John, if you were one of those people that you just mentioned, like, you know, you've been in the region for a number of years, you then sort of went back to Australia, um, you know, for whatever reason, maybe family reasons, or maybe you just wanted to go back to your roots or whatever you decided. But there are people who have done that. They've done sort of 10, 15, 20 years in Asia Pacific, head back to their homes or their origins. What is it that you would miss? If you could sort of, I know it's a very difficult question, but there are things that immediately spring to mind that you think, oh, wow, I need to get back for that reason. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the colour and movement. There's so much going on in these. You know, you've got a lot of people, a lot of different cultures and a lot of um, different experiences to have here. Each, you know, I think people forget about how many countries are, are concentrated around this uh, this region um, and it's yeah they're all slightly different in terms of their arts and culture and food and attitudes and humor and languages and everything's yeah, it's just so interesting and, and vibrant in many ways like I think you know you know everyone talks so fondly about Thailand and, and Vietnam and in terms of their experiences there and um, you yeah, know their interactions with people and you know every every country has a very proud history of something. So I think that's what I'd really miss going to Australia because it is fairly, you know, it's a bit one-dimensional, to be honest. I mean, we're a very multicultural society in Australia, but, um, you know, you tend to fall into your groove fairly quickly. And it's a great place to live. And it's, you know, highly likely that at some point we'll end up back there um, with with our little girl. But um, I definitely miss the, the difference. You know, the fact that you can, within an hour, be in another country and um, be experiencing something that's entirely different to where you're situated day to day. And also um, that that experience can be enriching for you and your family. Fantastic. Hey, John, before I let you go, we are going to be in Singapore sometime mid-September, mid to late September. We're bringing this radio show there to Brilliant. get some, I suppose, like street-level intel on the startup scene there. I want to get it outside of the the shiny office blocks and on the street talk to people where would you recommend that we go best place to go and get a real feel for singapore outside of the office blocks where you can really get a feel for it on the street not necessarily talking to people there but you know you could bring people there startup founders investors and so on and really visually get a feel for it so we can do some video what would your suggestion be yeah interesting there's lots of interesting sort of um different areas in Singapore that offer different things. So if you want to get out of the core city, um, you know, Chong Bahru, uh, you know, Arab Street, some of those sort of – we're still in the city, obviously, we're talking, but um, there's a lot of creative uh, ethos around those places in terms of the arts and, and fashion and those sorts of things and startups and people in shop houses and those sorts of things. Um, I could probably do a much better job of that if I really thought about it. But, there are, you know, there have got to be something like 80 – co-working locations in singapore at the moment um you know the working capital and collective works and um the hub and and all those things and they're you know that's where it's where we're starting to see i think this more collaborative um you know it's both inbound international ventures but also local entrepreneurs and startups um starting to to create a critical mass of their own Mm. Those are the spaces aren't they those are where the the local ecosystems are growing out so all right well we've got time and I'll let you off the hook a little bit there. I'll put you on <laughs> yeah, the spot. I'll, I'll come back to it. <laughs> exactly, come back to me. But it'd be great though. We'll be in Singapore yeah. and it'd be great to meet up with John and also find out a little bit more. But also beyond that as well, I mean, you know, you've been in Singapore two years. Let's, let's keep coming back on the show at some point, whether you come back in six months or a year's time and, and update us on to. your journey. Because I think, you know, you're on a journey. You've moved around a lot. Great to sort of share that journey with us and experience it through your eyes you know, how you're seeing things in Singapore developing. Because, you know, wow, six months in Singapore, you know, that that's sort of a long time anywhere else in the world because things move so fast there, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, literally buildings are going up overnight sometimes. And it's, it's you can see the energy and the in, intent of the the powers that be to, to, to make it work here from a, an entrepreneurial technology point of view. Um, so it, it really is a great time to get here and, and have a look around. 
Fantastic. Love it. John, right. give us a, a link so that listeners can find out more about you. Uh, MitchellLake.com. That's M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-A-K-E.com. Uh, and we're, yeah, we're, we're in a lot of places. So we're in San Francisco, New York, Melbourne, Sydney, Singapore, London, and hopefully a few more places over the next 12 to 18 months. So reach out if you want to talk about anything talent or technology or innovation. We're happy to help. Fantastic. That's John Tanner, everybody, CEO of Mitchell Lake Group. We'll put all the details in the show notes. And there's no excuse for not reaching out. If you're interested in any of those places that he's just mentioned, just reach out and be in touch with them. I'm sure they'll be happy to help you out and point you in the right direction. John, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing us with us your journey. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Good to be here. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.